Hi guys, welcome for yet another session at IIDS Summit, initiated by the Architects Diary. Sponsored Blendin, our global design news app. Our next speaker is Mr. Sushant Verma from Ratlab Studio. Sushant J. Amita Verma is an international award-winning architect, design technologist, and an educator currently leading Ratlab Studio, research in architecture and technology that investigates intersection of designs, art, technology through architecture, interior design, and art installations. He holds a master's degree in emergent technologies and design from Architectural Association London and is a former architect at Zahadir Architects London. Being actively invested into academic innovations, he is the leading founder of Rat Lab Education, Smart Labs, and EduLab India. He is going to talk about smart technologies and smart education, catalyst for innovation in architecture. Giving the floor to Mr. Varma. Thank you so much, Rudhi, uh, for the for the introduction. Warm welcome. Uh, it's a pleasure to be a, uh, be, uh, be at IADA Virtual Summit, and uh, it's it's a wonderful platform to be on. And I'm really fascinated with the kind of tech that you have used in to to get everyone together. So I'm really, uh, you know, I'm honored to be here. And uh, so yeah, we'll get started with our presentation as well, which is on smart technology and smart education, a catalyst for innovation in architecture. So, uh, you know, I want to talk about two aspects of, uh, I hope my, my, my screen is visible and uh, that's kind of live. Uh, so, so we're going to be talking about two aspects of, uh, you know, the profession, which I am deeply involved with. One is the, the professional side of it. And second is the academic side of it, uh, which somehow kind of both intersect in their own ways to create innovation in the industry. And, uh, you know, I'm, uh, like, like uh, Riddhi had mentioned, like I'm, I'm the co-founder of RatLab Studio, uh, which has been, uh, you know, in practice since 2012 as, as an independent small group at that time. 2015, we started the office in, in Delhi. Now we have uh, six studios. Uh, we recently started in Mumbai, uh, in, in Bangalore and in London as well. Uh, and pretty much in, in the NCR as well with the number of studios. So, uh, you know, and I'm also involved with Smart Labs, which is a program which we initiated uh, in 2017 as a hybrid program where uh, where we kind of blended online and virtual education uh, uh, together into a single platform. So that's something I'm going to be talking about uh, at the towards the end of my 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 talk. So talking about the uh, the professional side of things, you know, talking about RatLab Studio, how we have emerged into you know, from a small group and a team of two people, which was myself and Pradeep, which, uh, we started the studio in London uh, back in 2012, where where our, our ideology was to bring in research uh, and technology into architecture, and which we thought could lead to innovation. And at that time, we were obviously exploring technologies such as parametric design, computational design, which we continue to explore, but in different ways and forms. So, uh, you know, as, as a studio, we've been involved with multiple projects of different scales. We've done like something as small as an art installation or the furniture to a lighting to something as complex as an urban plaza or, uh, you know, a mixed use development of, you know, 10 lakh square feet uh, uh, and then pretty much various kind of large institutional projects such as, uh, you know, temple complexes, sports, sports arenas. 
large scale building facades uh, hospitality spaces and pretty much uh, you know different kinds and realms of projects but uh, the, the common link between all is technology which is what i want to focus on today so talking of you know the smart technologies i would i would let's let's call them smart right now because i really feel that they can do much more than what uh generic technologies which are embedded into the environment in our, in our ecosystem these do a little more than that i would say in terms of efficiency project workflows etc so giving you an overview of different scales of projects which have been completed ongoing work in progress just to give you an idea of the kind of scalability aspects of these tech something as simple as this which is you know a set of installations and furniture that we did like back in uh, you know 6 years back uh where where when parametric design and sectioning was was a very uh fairly new thing which which people are doing now it's obviously obsolete now and we we kind of do much more than uh just the sectioning but this kind of formed the basis of what we can do what we can create and understand technologies how technologies could help us so through various installations this was an experience center a perfumery for shivas which we did uh in delhi and mumbai uh which was uh, a stand alone installation which was also based on sectioning uh and of course we did a lot of prototypes build large scale uh, installations uh then installations like these which was a part of a facade project we were working on this is a cellular morphology facade uh pretty pretty well covered and uh, you know uh, featured project at that time this was in 2015 when we had just started the delhi office uh to explore parametric and computational design as new technologies which we can which we can kind of bring in into 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 india because we had just uh you know after after uh, almost four four and a half years spending in uk and us uh, i realized that there was a need to bring in these technologies and expose people with these technologies uh you know in a professional realm uh education as well but that's something that i'm going to talk about later uh but how we use computational design over here is, was uh beyond what we typically know parametric and computational design is uh is for uh, usually we we kind of associate it with the uh, form finding creating different kind of forms but i think how we always saw these technologies was how we can research more into these tech and kind of use them and utilize them and leverage them to create something much more in this particular case you see some you know environmental studies done on a building skin facade which all of all of these faces what 5000 plus faces having different values and we could optimize the workflow to create a design which is also structurally uh, stable so this was more like an interlinking of multiple tools and workflows where we could design something understand the workflow understand the environmental impact understand the structural behavior and kind of combine it all together into design to fabricate something like this this obviously was a slightly smaller scale project but it was i kind of you know the the entry level project for us as a studio to demonstrate the potentials of computational design uh so of course there were challenges of fabrication challenges of uh, transportation on the site and all sorts of other things that we ended up doing uh again i won't go into depth of each project because i want to keep an overview of different kinds and scales of projects uh you know wherein smart technologies uh, have a major role to play there were other installations as well such as the center one that you see is is something we did in los angeles the right one uh, you see on the screen is also something we did in los angeles this was called adaptive skins where we created a a moving building facade system which could move with without using any electricity and regulate the internal environments of of a building 
uh talking again of smaller scale installations and interventions this was another special project we did in a residence in new delhi where we did this artistic gesture of uh, you know kind of a canvas which is uh where, where you see more of a you know fluidic language and see these curves kind of blending in but all of this was basically you know typical cross sections like this which is kind of put together and which create this overall morphology so of course uh, you know this is something I, I i believe everyone understands now how you know sectioning kind of works and can, we can create uh, you know spatial fluidic volumetric forms using sectioning this obviously has a limitation of scale uh, and at which and materiality as well so when we do this at a different scale the challenges are slightly different i'll come to that uh, in a couple of minutes uh this was in uh, lighting installation we've also been developing different products and doing a lot of collaborations with uh various stakeholders in the industry so this was uh <coughs> one with a lighting consultant which we were working on and it was a project we did uh in in saudi arabia for which we designed this lighting system where we had these triangular systems which could rotate by about 5 and a half degree angle uh you know every every uh, different segment and uh, as it progresses it kind of rotates uh into into a, a 360 degree turn the complexity of that came into the realization of and the and the engineering of it basically to understand the detailing understand the lights understand the wiring system and all sorts of other things as well uh this was an interior project we did again 5 6 years back uh, a medium scale uh experience center for a stone factory which where we wanted to demonstrate the potentials of how cnc milling and stone can kind of merge and if you if you notice uh, you know this particular triangle or this particular triangle it's based on a very simple mathematical system you have a center point of a triangle which is dividing it into three triangles so we have one triangle becoming three triangles then you have the center point of this making nine triangles then center point of each of them making 81 triangles so this is called recursive subdivision so we basically use recursive subdivision to actually uh create an algorithm which could be put onto any sort of triangle with a limitation that it should not go the next step beyond the size of the cnc milling tool which we are going to be using so we kind of used a machine a hardware uh, you know specification and put that into the algorithm which we were building digitally to create this kind of a system eventually we had this whole gesture of triangulated uh, faceted kind of a skin for the interior space which was all coming in together like this but the fabrication system of this was actually pretty much done in a click of a few buttons after we had done the algorithm which could be replicated onto any kind of triangles onto the side so this kind of became like a tool for us which you could apply onto any kind of system and the whole idea was to understand the size of the cnc milling bit and make sure that no ridge is more than the tolerance of this particular size so it's kind of you know intermixing of uh, uh, a machine that you have available or a tool that you have available and putting that into an algorithm uh we use a very similar system of triangulation on a facade uh, which which is for a hospitality small hospitality project uh which was which was this one uh we also collaborated with a fashion designer to to kind of create sort of a 3d printed uh, fabricated uh, dress system which we could build into a, a wardrobe uh, which would which would control the transparency of a dress uh 
using different systems. Uh, this is a roof structure project at Delhi Technological University. It's an ongoing uh, uh, intervention right now, which we are working on and detailing out, uh, which, which has this multi-layered skin system where you have this uh, kind of a triple layered skin system, which kind of controls the micro environment inside the campus uh, by providing, by cutting off direct light and converting that into, diff into diffuse light. And uh, the system of that is kind of very interestingly developed as well, which is uh, kind of intervening of the red and the greens that you see over here in this diagram. Uh, intervening of these two elements, which is a single single curved sheet metal, which was put on, on, on a truss system over which you have a covering of uh, PVC sheet uh, into, into parts, basically. And the whole thing is obviously responding to the environmental impact that the entire system is able to create a micro environment, which is more conducive for more interactions uh, uh, and, and activities happening at the campus. Uh, a few more projects. This was in Hyderabad, which we, we, we're doing a, a, a roof structure for a uh, for a kind of a clubhouse on the top of a of a, of a housing complex. So, uh, I mean, this shows the kind of prototyping that we did at a at a smaller scale to understand the system, which could later be uh, taken off into the project. We, we usually are not able to show a lot of detailing of the project because of the NDAs that we have with a lot of architects who we work with typically. So I'm kind of showing you the glimpse of a lot of projects uh, without much of detailing, of course. Uh, then we also end up developing our tools and, and techniques. Uh, so there are tools where we kind of we work on a lot of facade projects. So these are a few tools that we develop where uh, for the facade, uh, for a double skin, skin facade, where we triangulated the entire skin into a system, which could be the fabrication data for which could be sent to a machine and it could be fabricated and then it goes to the site and being put with all the numbering system and everything organized. So you have a facade which is, you know, uh, in the factory being being made like this. And every single element has a numbering system, as you can see, with uh, which, which also shows this RL. R is the running length of the tool. So if you know the running, running length of the CNC machine, how much of CNC is required, how much of time is required, we can actually estimate the costs of the facade while we are designing it basically without going into the typical process of getting the quantities, BOQs, and getting onto the costing of the, of the overall structure. This allows us to obviously, you know, innovate much more better. Just running through this video, which kind of shows the whole process of how from the design to fabrication process of, a, of this particular facade system, where we are able to automate the entire uh, fabrication data through multiple iterations. We are able to calculate the running length. We are able to calculate the time, the machining time. And all of this is done through tools like Grasshopper and various kind of plugins that we create within Grasshopper, which uh, I would call somewhat advanced coding uh, for design. And yeah, we can we can then work with the tool, create different iterations, create different ideations, and uh, you know use that to understand which which particular one is more rational, which is more more cost effective, and again take a call accordingly. 
Yeah, we are also understanding the visual analysis of, of the interior space with respect to the facade using a genetic algorithm. Uh, other sort of projects, uh, this is uh, a project in Hyderabad we've been working on uh, for a developer which kind of wanted us to develop some kind of fluidic gesture uh, where we kind of simplified the system and rationalized the geometry in a manner where we could 3D print it for the, the facade engineering team to un understand, uh, link that information with the environmental strategies. Uh, so within the parametric model, we can rationalize and you can see this color coding on the right hand side, which shows different types of members that are available. So we can really reduce the number of types rather than having every element differentiated, which a typical parametric system might produce. Uh, we are able to create something which is much more uh, modularized to as much extent to control the cost and the feasibility of, of, the, uh, of the project. I spoke about sectioning at a smaller scale when we were doing furniture and different other kind of uh, art installations. On a larger scale, when we go on a larger scale, the complexity and the detailing of that completely changes drastically. Although the gesture is, is something that we can really use and utilize to create sort of a, a different iteration. This was again uh, for a, from a few other projects. Uh, this is another facade project where we had different modules which are kind of protruding out from a particular uh, flat surface. And But if you look in deeply, I mean, um, there are four kinds of panels which we are playing around with uh, and configuring uh, in different manners. And just by configuration of these elements, we are able to create different modules which all of them have an impact of different opening sizes and percentage. And if we have different opening sizes, we can really play around with that to control the kind of light and the behavior of the building skin inside the building as well. All of that is rationally always. I mean, we don't usually typically only work on a geometry or a form that usually goes forward when we are creating the value engineering for that particular form as well. So here you see a lot of radiation studies and the daylight studies on the, on the floor plates and understanding how the behavior of this particular skin is going to be. So these kind of analysis help us understand that, okay, whether this particular facade system is going to be more workable for, let's say, south direction, east side, north facing, west facing. And accordingly, we can take a direct, uh, take an understanding of, you know, how, how, it's, how it behaves, basically. So we're not only looking at a particular form in terms of its, uh, its aesthetics, but we're also looking at its behavior and its uh, impact on the on the particular uh, building and the environment as well. So you see these various kind of technical analysis. This is what we call the value engineering for the facades, uh, where we're looking into the environmental aspects, and then we also start to look into the structural aspects and other differentiated aspects of the facade. Here we are able to use this as a second skin to understand how we are able to reduce the kind of heat loads onto the building if we use it in different directions. Uh, this is a cricket stadium project we worked on. We, we were developing a little tool for developing uh, a, a more of a toolkit, uh, which we thought we'll probably release as a, you know, as, as a grasshopper tool at one point. Uh, but what we were looking into was, uh, you know, mostly uh, how we can kind of automate the design of a stadium. In this particular case, we, we ended up designing the stadium for this particular uh, project in Queensland in Australia as well, which was a collaboration with, uh, with the local architects over there, uh, where we evolved the entire design into a, into a fluidic roof system, which has a gentle lift 
on one particular side and uh, then of course there are panels which are changing and and kind of variable which which form the roof structure which we are still working on um, at the moment uh this is another project uh, which is uh, which is a which is a religious project institutional project it's a sai baba temple in india it's in south india uh which was which is again ongoing right now uh, uh here the 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 design brief really allowed uh, asked us to kind of work on something which kind of correlates with vastu so we had this whole uh, you know correlation with vastu of uh, and, and and a numerology of the number 11 so we were as a number 11 is absolutely important for this particular project and we wanted to conceptualize everything around that so what we did was we developed a hendecagon hendecagon is an 11 sided polygon uh and we created different articulations of a hendecagon and how we can use different geometries to create different formations and then develop that into a different kind of forms so that allowed us to create various kind of algorithms which could allow us to create forms which look into structural aspects as well and the spatial aspects of the project so within the multiple options and iterations that we ended up creating and again this this creation is not something that happens on a click of a button it it requires a lot of rigor to create a system to create an algorithm uh uh and and then it leads to something it, it's not like the computer would design for you you have to feed in every single aspect into the computer and make it design it's it's pretty much like how you have a digital pencil and uh how you use it is is uh, is is the kind of output it's going to give you basically but it allowed us to explore a uh, you know a, a form which which was specially very interesting which uh, where we can really play around with a lot with light and shade and how the light is going to come from the oculus on top Of of the temple, and uh, you know, ended up creating something uh, of this sorts. Uh, again, there are different elements like facade, structure, modularity, the inner columns. There are various elements, flooring patterns, which obviously we had to look into deeply. Uh, now, this is an ongoing project. One of the uh, very interesting ones which we've been working on. This is on the site, uh, uh, pretty much fifty uh, percent construction uh, already done. This is in Dwarka in New Delhi. It's it's going to be the largest theme park in India, which is which is actually spread across two twenty acres of of site. And we were we were brought on board on this project to make uh, a parametric modeling of the existing design ideation that the you know uh, that the team had. Uh, and there are various consultants on board, some from London, some from Delhi. uh and all of us collaborated on this to work together to create this uh, you know complex structure it has this uh you know various kind of uh, sky bridges i mean this one sky bridge basically on different pylons and we had to do the parametric modeling of that which is i would say is a combination of bim and parametric modeling where every single element which is going to be constructed was parametrically modeled numbered sequenced and sent for fabrication so what you see over here on the right hand side you see the posters of the project which is from the site on the left hand side you see a parametric model that we have created where you can kind of see all sorts of details of of the element so it's not just a form basically it's actually a highly detailed parametric model with the structural elements in place and this is the three, there are three kind of pylons in this which kind of hold the sky bridge and uh, it, it's a 45 meter tall structure which uh, which has a central core and you have a die grid which you see over here now the die grid is actually holding uh, 
is basically holding the staircase which is cantilevered on the inside and the core is independent of the staircase and the core is holding these cables which is holding a sky bridge which is going along the entire park so obviously it was a very very challenging project in terms of you know how we would model every single element because you're dealing with you know millions of elements actually so we had to really uh, you know uplift the kind of computing that we had to do and we had to create a lot of custom tools to be able to uh, you know create this system which also factors into clash detection structural aspects and all sorts of other things so here you see all the pylons over here and the sky bridge and these are the master models from rhinos snippets um, whatever we can share of course a lot of it is it's it's a government project a lot of it is, is not something which which can be shared uh, uh, but then what you see over here is a parametric model at, at a particular stage where you see a triple skin die grid and every single element is welded to each other through a single node. Now that node as well had to be designed, detailed out parametrically and every single node's dimensions and articulations are different and that had to be numbered and sequenced and used for the fabricator for construction. So... This is what you have, and this is the snippets of the working of the parametric model, where all the clash detection studies were done, all the scripts were built, all the algorithms were built to model the entire thing, which ended up into these different digrids. Uh, this is where the sky bridge comes basically at this level, which is 30 meters, as you see. So this sky bridge is, has cables going in and no cable was allowed to clash with the digrid system. Now, this was a very, very challenging system. And we also had to resolve the inner skin and the cladding system of it, uh, which is still in progress. And we had to make a parametric system, which was modularized. And each cable was then numbered. All of this data was put into, put into automatically, automated to put into an Excel sheet, not automatically, I would say. Automation is the right word, I would say. Um, and we had to look into clashes that where would this particular cable clash? For example, the clashes are marked here on the screen over here. Now that is something we had to avoid. So we had to really work around iterations of this complex structure to make sure that what if we move it with three degree angle? What if we move it with a 0.68 degree angle to, to make sure that there are clashes? So we had to come all the reds to all the greens. So the optimization of all the, all the elements had to take place with respect to, uh, you know, the tender drawing and how it could be uh, led to the final, uh, you know, project. And these are a few more snippets. Again, you would see a highly detailed uh, parametric model. Every single node is, is numbered, the angles, uh, what, uh, you know, how, how you could assist the facade consultant further. And the, and the structural team to, to give in the data wherever required. And also extract all sorts of drawings from the 3D model that we had created out of this. <clears throat> so for example, we were also looking at deviations. For example, if we uh, you know, convert all the double curved surfaces into flat surfaces, how much of deviation are we looking into? So we had created these like simple systems or tools to, to calculate all of these aspects as well. So we're not always analyzing only the form. We're also analyzing variety of aspects from the form as well, uh, which we were looking into. Uh, 
you know how we've been working for the past uh, you know many years is uh, we have been doing a lot of independent projects but at the same time we've also been working with a lot of architects and designers uh, not just in india but outside of india as well uh, wherein we have been collaborating with them to create a sort of a collaborative model where we can help them with the kind of tools that we've been developing over the period of time a lot of tools are not like out there in terms of those are internal in house tools that we keep on creating so what we recently launched is we kind of converted this entire model into a subscription service for different architects so which is called ratlab uh, paratech it's it can be found on our website as well so any architects or designers who kind of wish to collaborate with us now have found a very simple way that we have this saas system where it's a subscription model basically uh where uh they are, they can subscribe to the parametric and computational design services without actually having to build their their entire research lab basically uh to do the tasks so this way we are able to cater to much more number of uh, you know professionals out there and who are able to take our services and uh, you know subscribe to our different models so this is called paratech is something which we recently uh, you know launched uh now this was one part of it which is the professional side of it now let me talk about the academic side of it so you know uh when when i was uh, of course exposed to different kind of an environment in 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 other countries when i was working there uh i was working with a robotics company robofold in london i was working with zahadid architects in london then i moved to los angeles you we were doing independently working over there uh, uh at the, the max center uh, and museum uh so overall what we experienced was that the education system in india has not been at par to expose us to the right kind of tools and technologies so we always had this mission of creating an academic vertical so when uh 2015 we started the studio uh, pretty much around the same time we started ratlab education as well ratlab education was is 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 another vertical that we have expanded into in multiple arenas now uh uh when we were challenging that how smart is our education you know there's something that we always have this question that how do we make our education system smart and much more comprehensive to adapt to the new technologies that are available to us right now uh at that time when i'm talking about that time i mean i was really questioning about what the kind of education system that we had so of course we we saw that okay 150 200 years back this is the kind of classrooms that we had at that time and uh, you know now the classrooms have changed to this so nothing much has changed in terms of technologies integration into it so we always thought okay you know the the effect of technology on modern education has been slightly different that we've introduced tech to the students but again the, the behavior is is very much the same and this is something that we can also relate to the to the pandemic and how the shift to the online education system has happened so uh but but while that was happening you know i'll i'll come to this particular part when we address uh, you know the hybrid nature of of this education but while this was happening over the next 5 6 7 years we did about 125 plus workshops catering to our 2000 students uh, and professionals where we did a lot of summer schools winter schools programs different kind of workshops in different cities uh and over a period of time we realized that we had been like you know doing different workshops and ended up creating a lot of design modules and workshops ranging from a two day studio to a six month program the six month program was the most fascinating model that we had at that time in 2017 we started uh you know smart labs uh, but but while we were doing that we were also doing a lot of workshops in different countries this is snippets from few workshops we did in taiwan uh, in 2014 uh 
this was a few workshops uh, in, in New Delhi where we were, you know, creating something, teaching different tools to different architects, different students, building installations, and trying to create a physical sort of an output so that students can get a hands-on experience with uh, the digital fabrication tools as well. But before we get onto that part, I think students must master the, the, the software before they master the hardware as well. So that is something very important and it takes a bit of time. So for that, we usually keep on creating different kind of workshops and programs and uh, uh, which which one can uh, you know be a part of. So I'm just uh, going to brush through different workshops and interactions that we've had over the period of time at different uh, institutions, different uh, uh, programs. This is, I think, at one at Taiwan. This one is a right one is at SEPT. Uh, these were a few workshops in Bangalore, Chennai, uh, 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 Chandigarh, Pune, uh, plenty of other cities that we've done different workshops at Mumbai. Uh, and, and what happened in 2020 when the pandemic came is we shifted the entire model into uh, a global visiting school, which was most more of online because the pandemic has stuck and we realized, okay, that we need to move into a different mode of education. So this is where we started to introduce technology in different ways where we could get a lot of tutors onboarded with us from different parts of the world and create sort of an education system. Uh, over a period of time, over the last three years, we've been expanding uh, GVS into a platform where people can uh, either be a part of the live workshops or even uh, you know get access to the recordings and the uh, example files from different workshops uh, of different kinds. So... Over here, what you'll see is a, a glimpse of GBS 2020, where we had different kind of workshops on, on fluid modeling in Maya, processing, creative coding, augmented reality. And all of that kind of became a, a very interesting program. We had about, I think, 250 plus students participating in this entire program across different clusters. And we could really engage and tease the students about technologies, uh, you know, how, how do we augment reality, uh, you know, uh, using processing, creative coding, uh, and various other kind of technologies that we integrated into uh, into the program beyond just the grasshopper, which we were already doing in practice as well. So this kind of became a very interesting, uh, you know, model for us, uh, which kind of... Uh, there was robotic fabrication, generative art, and all sorts of things. And next year, we had another set of workshops, which was dealing with uh, tools like, uh, you know, uh, ZBrush and, and, and Grasshopper, Cinema 4D, Python, Maya, Blender. And uh, uh, this year, 2021, 2022, uh, TVS is already going on right now. We've had about three clusters uh, already. Uh, there are two more cluster, online clusters are, are left. And there is a workshop happening in London in September. Uh, which is on, I think, 23rd to 25th of September. It's a three-day workshop happening in, in central London, which uh, I am leading alongside other tutors uh, from London. Uh, and that's a physical in-studio workshop, which kind of combines with the other online workshops of, of GVS. So we're having workshops on Touch Designer, Maya, Blender, uh, machine learning uh, using Python, uh, and of course, Grasshopper and, and Rhino, which is happening towards the end of the program. So all of this kind of, you know, has been providing as a good tool set for, for, for a lot of students to kind of learn 
and enroll for and across these three years we've had about you know like about 20 odd workshops and programs and all of this is available now for anyone to go back to access get the example files from the tutors and self-educate you know this is what our, our aim was how do how do students self-educate because if the system is slow to change you don't have the kind of exposure uh might as well use the online technologies to kind of uh, you know uh, self-train yourself basically i would say but during all this time you know we were again asking the same question that how smart is our education you know like how do we combine all of this into a hybrid situation? So this is where we launched Smart Labs program in 2017, uh, which was Smart Labs 1.0, which was a, a pilot project for us, which was a collaboration with a Chennai-based uh, university. Uh, we collaborated with the RBA School of Architecture in Chennai, which uh, supported the program to create it into a hybrid system. Now, 2016, I'm talking about pre-pandemic times where nobody had understood how the online education would work. I don't think we had Zoom or these kind of platforms at that time. We started with Skype, GoMeeting and all of these kind of platforms and later moved on to Zoom. Uh, wherein we could create a system where we had studios happening, all the tutorials, and then which was facilitated by online sessions across the, uh, across the six-month program. So it's a six-month program which anybody can enroll. Uh, initially, we opened it only for Indian students and it was meant only for the Indian universities. Second, where we could, you know, train them, make them go through a process of fabrication, where they where they build stuff, you know, use the techniques and technologies to kind of create something. We had students which were like second year architecture students to graduates, which had graduated like five years back as well. And all of them coming together to create systems, learn technologies, learn these kind of tools. So now, six years down the line, we are at Smart Lab 7.0 right now. Smart Lab 6.0 is about to culminate soon. Smart Lab 7.0, we are screening up admissions for that. We are already onboarding uh, students for that from different parts of the world. Now it's a global hybrid program, which is uh, a major chunk of it happens online. And it's facilitated, facilitated by studios that are happening in New Delhi, where we run our studios, uh, where students can travel, be a part of the studio, get in touch with the fabrication tools that we are using, understand digital fabrication, and explore different kind of tools across a six-month program. So this way, it's a very flexible program where students can actually, uh, uh, you know, enroll from any part of the world. And the studios are optional. The online sessions are something which are, are the center uh, focus of it now. And uh, students collaborate with each other. Uh, they work on different projects. And at the end of six months, they have a usually have a very good base to go on to any master's. And they kind of train to kind of make the best out of whatever program they're in. We, of course, had very interesting, uh, you know, associations across different batches of smart labs with different tutors from different parts of the world. The agendas are focused on digital fabrication, interactive, interactive design, performative design, and where students learn different kind of tools. For example, this was the interactive design module where a uh, student is able to create this interactive skin system where you're using the motion of the hand, using a leap motion device and integrate that into Grasshopper and Rhino to create a sort of a surface. So these were like one of the very few, uh, one of the many explorations that the interactive design uh, session had. Uh, this was again when the studio sessions were more relevant in Smart Labs and the online sessions were the, the you know, the, the facilitating ones. Now it's kind of flipped where the online sessions are more important because we have a huge uh, you know, bunch of students uh, uh, from the other parts of the world as well who do not 
who cannot who have who would possibly have a travel constraint of course so we let them work from their own cities and create different kind of systems and uh, at the end of the program we have an exhibition we have a conference happening uh and 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 which is where all the works of the students is well documented and you know put together into different systems when we have the studios we we look into 3d printing we look into different tools we introduce them with industry tools cnc machines laser cutting and all sorts of other things and make them use it in the right way i would say the application of the tools is really important which is what we try to focus on and uh, these are again few snippets of the student work that they've developed over different batches where they explore different uh, you know spatial formations and articulations of these technologies and uh, <clears throat> start to use these kind of tools uh, to create things so again right from installation to furniture to architecture to uh, 3d printing stuff all sorts of things are continuing to uh, go on so overall i would say uh, you know this is like a catalyst i would think i would say for the innovation that is happening in the industry because across i think in the last uh, you know six batches of smart labs uh, about 200 people graduating out of it uh these students are either right now working at senior positions as computational designers into known practices across india and other parts of the world or are pursuing their masters and and flourishing because they had a good platform and a base made during this kind of hybrid program uh or or kind of taking up teaching positions and even interacting uh, with us as tutors at smart labs as well many of the times people at smart labs become a part of the rat lab studio uh Uh, as as a team member later on because they are well trained to kind of use these tools and apply them uh, into the professional stuff as well overall when i see when i talk of innovation in the industry i think innovation in architecture is still at the early stage you know not even the early stage i would say i think the only uh, you know this is a diffusion curve which is a typical uh, talks about how diffusion happens across 2.5% of population of innovators early adopters early majority late majority and 16% laggard innovation in architecture is still stuck to the 2.5% of population so not many people are still adopting to it although i would say in the last couple of years things have started to change and we are also slowly moving towards early adopters so i would say whoever is uh, you know able to experience these kind of technologies and innovation if you really want to make an impact i would say jump onto it and start to learn and build up your skill set and the, the the quicker you uh, you know uh, you i would say learn these skill sets you would be able to use them in practice and academia both as well so uh, yeah uh, i think i think at the end i would say how this is how for me innovation and technologies combine in profession and academia and uh, if you want to get to know more of us you can check out our website or shoot us an email or uh follow us on different platforms on instagram as well ratlab arch is the architectural studio ratlab edu is where you'll see information of all different workshops that we've been doing and taking up and then you have the smartlabs.ratlab uh you know link where you get all the information of the smartlabs program so within these three interesting verticals we are able to uh try we are trying to innovate in our own ways and it's been an overwhelming journey so far and uh, yeah i i wish to have interactions with the people who are able to uh, you know uh, be a part of this this forum and if you guys have any kind of questions uh, feel free to uh, shoot up
then we can start our session. While we have any other questions, I have a few questions if you don't mind uh, me asking. Sure. So yeah. that has also so put it, up a question as well, yeah. But yeah, I'll really take that up. Uh, so you were talking about material limitations uh, while during, during parametric design and the scale. So especially the 3D printing. So what kind of materials do you usually prefer or use in your projects or have you used right projects? so whenever we're designing something you know we have to understand uh i would say i would say it's not like i know there's a lot of you know misconceptions that uh these materials are not suitable for you know parametric designs because the kind of geometries are are complex you know now there are so many materials out there which are already uh you know have a different play of geometries which, which one can kind of utilize in, in different kind of spaces, which, which they call as parametric products and acoustic ceilings and all sorts of other things as well. So I would say uh, uh, there are no limitations as such because we can use any sort of materials, to be honest. There are limitations in terms of when we play around with geometries, we have to understand the scale at which we are, at which we are working at. For example, if you're working on the sectioning process that I showed initially, it was at a smaller scale, of course. At a larger scale, when we go to the facade, the entire system has to be made with an MS structure, with an aluminum cladding sheet. And the, the detailing of that is completely different. You have to look into the node, node details, you have to look into the intersection detail, the interface detail, all sorts of other things as well. So I think I think the focus kind of shifts towards uh, uh, you know, different kind of aspects of the design and then the construction. It's not because when you're creating something more complex, which is not very conventional, you have to go a step forward to, uh, you know, I would say to, to 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 justify it sometimes or to make sure that it happens and it's built at the right kind of cost as well. Uh, usually there's again misconceptions that parametric geometries and, and, and designs are more expensive than conventional ones. That is not true, actually. In fact, we can we have really means to rationalize and optimize things to a much more uh, doable extent. Of course, if one does does compare that with a with a you know simple brick wall, you know obviously there's no there's no uh, it's a no brainer. Of course, a brick wall is going to be much more cheaper than any design that you're going to be doing. So, but yeah, if you compare, even we do facades, for example, a typical facade, if it costs six hundred rupees a square feet, we have worked on parametrically designed facades which are costing four hundred rupees a square feet. You know, and it makes a huge impact on the overall project as well. So it's not always that it's, uh, you know, limitations uh, are there. But in terms of materials, uh, in facades, we work on typical aluminium, zinc sheets, uh, MS structures. Uh, so so all sorts of things are, uh, are there. You know, we work on uh, composite panels. Uh, everything right now in the industry can be CNC milled or water jet cut. Even steel can be water jet cut, basically. So there's no limitation as such. There are technologies, there are there are hardware available for all of this. There are machines available. So it's just about finding the right way, I would say. Yeah. 
So you would say it's just the scale and the kind of project which decides the material. And... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For example, a temple project, it's a large scale project. We're dealing with, uh, you know, a huge, uh, you know, angled structural system, which which kind of combines together to. So we were, we were looking into simple concrete construction, which is which can be uh, not going beyond a steeper angle and stuff like that. So all of that is possible. And then we can look into ferro-cement and various other kind of materials that one can use to create jalis. We can use GFRC. GFRC is, is a very common material now, which you use for like typical jalis across various kind of projects. And it's not very expensive as well. So there are ways to, to uh, you know, bring in innovation in, in different ways. Uh, materials is not a, a problem. And 3D printing also, like you mentioned, uh, 3D printing is a prototyping technique which can allow us to uh, understand something. A lot of people don't really get the whole idea of 3D printing because people still think 3D printing is a new technology. 3D printing was patented in 1986, you know, so it's actually, uh, you know, a, a 30 year old technology, I would say. So there's, there's no, there's no, uh, it's just that now you started to adopt to it. And now you started to think that, okay, 3D printing is cool. Let's 3D print something. But the thing is, what does 3D printing give you? Is it, is it giving you, uh, uh, is it giving you a small scale version of the design? If it's just doing that, then it's the same as a, as a 3D model, you know? It just you have to have it physically in you, but it won't have the detailing. So 3D printing is uh, I, I particularly find 3D printing as a very uh, underutilized technology uh, because people are not using it for prototyping or as a part of the project. And of course, you can't 3D print a large scale building right now. A lot of research has been happening. There are uh, there's a lot in the news that okay we are able to 3D print a room, a school, and all sorts of things. All of that is there, but there's a long way to go in terms of and uh, when it can actually build uh, materials or, or large-scale buildings as, as such. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll go on to our next question. Does this technology has real-life adaptation? Yeah, I mean, uh, we're still surviving as a studio. So we're doing all sorts of projects. And uh, yeah, we're building, we're doing things. and. Uh, Although architecture is a slow process. So, you know, as I mentioned, like a lot of things is something that we is under confidentiality norms and we can share a lot of things. Uh, uh, and uh, to be honest, I don't think we we've updated our website as well in, in a long time. We've putting pretty much put everything on Instagram and stuff. Glimpses of things that you're working on because a lot of times it's, it's a very long shot in terms of architecture is, it takes time. You know, it takes like four or five years for, for a large scale project to get uh, to see the light of the day and there's a lot of r&d that goes behind the scenes as well so but i can i can i can tell you that uh, we're working on a lot of things which are getting built it has all of this has uh, a real life adaptation for sure and then utilization so um, and and i would say every architect every designer right now is looking for these kind of tools to adapt into their practice to to bring about a change so that is definitely happening uh, right now. And it's no more a talk of the future. It's a talk of the present right now, to be honest. So um, there's the next one is, uh, what do you suggest as future opportunity for a student? So I think students uh, really need to, uh, you know, take this opportunity right now. There are so many technologies and there's so many open source learning platforms available. There are so many free uh, platforms available, you know, like which can give you the sort of 
uh, I would say it's, uh, the learning that you would not get otherwise because you know it will take time for the institutions to adapt to all of these technologies and tools and then get the right you know, resources uh, to be taught as a part of the curriculum till that happens while that happens you know like there are new technologies out there always so it's better for students i would i would encourage all the students to uh, you know learn as many new technologies that you can rather than just seeing it from a distance and it should not be just seen on instagram and pinterest you know like one needs to learn these things and it takes a lot of these tools have a very uh, uh, you know different learning curve i would say some are quicker to learn some take time uh, and that's pretty much why we also started smart labs as a, as a six month program because we realized that students learning through a two day program or a three day program are not really making the best benefit out of it to be honest and you need a consistent uh, interaction with the tools to be able to get the make the best out of it it's not something that's you can there are no shortcuts i would say you know there are uh, no shortcuts available and uh, people can do some quick things with, with with basic tools but then to get deeper into it to actually use it in the profession you need to have a, a strong expertise and that requires time so the students need to start learning these tools whatever tools are available whatever new technologies are there i think it's the opportunities are are a huge everyone right now is looking for people there are uh, you know uh, job opportunities as well there are teaching opportunities uh if you really want to make an impact in into the future of the profession you need to know these tools gone are the days when you can survive with knowing basic 3d modeling and good rendering skills and stuff like that you know it has to go beyond and beyond that as well so yeah i will take up the next question as well siddharth's asking is smart lab 7.0 will be a course software will we get to know the use in a practice like you do in a firm at the end of the course how will we get into computation okay so this is exactly what the the whole crux of smart labs is that the whole idea was to expose students to practical applications as well so we have theory sessions happening in smart labs we have technical sessions where we teach softwares we have interactions with tutors happening we have real life projects happening and bringing it into the studio so students over the six month period are not just learning but are also applying into projects at one way it's kind of building a good uh you know set a portfolio as well for them to apply for masters or use it in their profiles and stuff like that uh they are learning the application so smart labs is all about applying the skills so we're not just building the software skills i i, I mean at this time I, i really feel learning software is very easy you know there are so many resources out there if you are dedicated you are consistent you can learn but the application is something that you need some sort of mentoring you can't do it unguidedly you know you just can't be opening a youtube tutorial and learn how to build to be honest you know it's the same way you can't you can you can learn autocad through online through, through youtube or other kind of forums for example but you can't learn how to design and this is the this is the right example that i would give for 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 computational design as well you know you can learn how to use rhino grasshopper using the grasshopper primer you know or, or a book but nobody can teach you how to design using that so that comes with practice and consistency which is what we try to inculcate into the smart class program basically so at the end of the program we 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 really nurture experts i would say that's what we like to take pride in uh, at this point when it comes to smart labs 
So speaking of that, someone's asked, uh, do you think the architectural institutes are lacking the progressive thinking and what are your suggestions for them? Uh, I think I'm, if, if you would ask me this question like two, three years back, let's say, uh, you know, 2018, 19, I would have said yes, damn yes. I mean, they are lacking in progressive thinking for sure because uh, it, it's too slow a change. And that is where all these workshop culture has flourished in the last few years as well. Uh, I, I think, think when we started the workshops for, for Atlab Education, it was 2015, nobody was doing workshops. It was absolutely new. You know, like we were kind of, uh, you know, the, the front runners for uh, for, for doing uh, grasshopper workshops at that time. And then a lot of time, it kind of scaled up in different ways. And we also scaled up in, in many ways to create these six-month program and all sorts of things. Uh, and then Global Visiting School happened. Uh, but now, if you ask me this question, I think a lot of institutions are wanting to change for sure. Their adoption rate might be slow, uh, but they are definitely wanting to change and they are uh, trying to adopt to things. The systems are slow. The administrative systems I find really slow. And I'm, I am i won't be diplomatic here. I, I deal with a lot of institutions and I openly tell, tell them as well. Uh, that if you really want to change, you've got to be fast in this. Because by the time you you adapt to something, there are new things out there. And the students are wanting to learn more. So, but I think things are slowly becoming part of the curriculums. I, I really believe in open learning culture. I don't think learning should be restricted to a particular institution. If an institution goes forward to create a sort of a program, they should open it to everyone, I would say. And that's pretty much how uh, you know, the innovation will happen in the industry as well. Uh, what are the preferred softwares or tools in the European market? Uh, so I think everyone uh, right now is definitely looking for uh, Grasshopper experts, I would say. So Grasshopper has become a very, very key tool in the profession. Uh, almost all the projects that are, that are uh, you know, getting built, designed and built, they are using Grasshopper in some way or the other. It can be rationalizing of the geometry. It could be sorting of your data. It can be uh, facade design. It could be landscape, lots of other things, basically. So Grasshopper is a much more realistic tool, which is grounded now, which can link to actual information. So Grasshopper is definitely much, much required tool. And the, the requirement of that is definitely there in all sorts of job profiles also that you would see. It's a much preferred tool. Revit, of course, has also been there in the industry for a very long time, and the demands for Revit has also been high. But with the kind of complexities and designs that people are trying out, uh, there is a sense of merger required between Revit and Grasshopper as well. So hence, there are other tools like Dynamo and then uh, Conveyor Belt and all sorts of other plugins within Grasshopper that are being developed, which can allow you to interlink geometry between Revit and, and, and Rhino and Grasshopper as well. So I think, but these tools, I would say, are much more preferred. And then, of course, now a lot of people who are getting into fluidic forms and stuff are also delving into Maya and using kind of Maya modeling and, uh, you know, creating fluidic forms and stuff. But again, Maya has its own kind of restrictions in terms of uh, being more intuitive, I would say. Uh, but if you ask me, like, one software which one must learn at this point, it's the depths of Grasshopper, not just from the face of it. It's the... Uh, intermediate and advanced levels of grasshopper. So that means a good amount of time spending with the tool. And that's where you can integrate, start to integrate that with other tools and technologies as well. And that is now required in the Indian market as well, by the way. 
it's not just the european market indian architects i can i can i can name 10 architects you know like pinpoint them that the biggest of architects who are working right now they need grasshopper skills so it's a need of the art so grasshopper it is everybody needs to learn that <laughs> and uh, do you think you we have skipped few trends architecturally in the fast changing world um i mean very subjective question uh so i'll have to give a subjective answer because there's no objectivity of styles and trends basically you know like because that's very subjective always you know like typically when we you know come out of a particular style or an era that's when we realize that okay what we were doing before not when we were into it because right now everything seems fast changing but if you if you go back 50 years and if you ask someone that how do you think things changing they would say okay fast changing right now for sure i mean right now we see it in a different way because uh, so it's always going to be evolving i would say so i don't think anything has been skipped or anything new trends keep coming and going that's always going to be there uh i myself particularly don't believe in uh, architectural styles or a particular set of style that one needs to have uh and that's pretty much is reflecting in our works as well that you would see some sort of complexity involved in different kind of forms but you would see simple things elegant things complex things ugly things beautiful things all sorts of things basically so everything is there uh so i would say uh i don't believe in styles that much so i don't think we have really skipped styles but i think we are moving at a good pace in terms of adoption technology and there are new tools and techniques coming in so one must start to uh, you know leverage them and start to utilize them uh, but if you see the overall uh, you know current phase of architectural style if i may say so it's very much tech uh, influenced for sure the tools will always reflect the kind of output that you will have that has happened when you were drawing with a pencil that has happened when you were using a parallel bar the moment uh, there was a uh, you know the set square was invented you started to see things at angles the moment french curves came into place you started to see plans and various kind of forms in curvilinear style so there is no denying that styles have always influenced design language in some way or the other and there's nothing wrong in that right now we have so many tools available to us hence we are working on multiple kinds of kind of styles overlapping so let's see what survives and uh, sticks around till 2050 that will become a style thank you so much uh, our questions are uh, ended and uh, thank you for giving up paradigm to our audience it was a great time having you at the summit uh, we are taking a break till 4:30 and there'll be another session right after the break do do not forget to tune in stay safe and please network sorry i'm sorry uh please network with fellow attendees in the network lounge definitely definitely it's a pleasure being there is here. one Thank more so question for making me a part of sushant uh, there is one more question i think uh, you guys should i take, haven't uh, received it uh, okay, i can see the message yeah. yeah it's just popped up yes Hi Sushant you're a pioneer 
in pushing tech in architecture in India. What is your opinion on parametric computation flourishing in India? Is it more as an external consultancy or the architects adapting these tools themselves? Uh, so, I mean, it's a very good question, actually. Uh, uh, and thank you for the kind words at the beginning. So, uh, I mean, no, I mean, we're really trying hard uh, and we take a lot of pride in trying to push the boundary and uh, it's not an easy job, I would say, I can tell you for sure. Uh, but because we've been trying to bring about a change in many ways, bottom up, top down, professionally and in academia, both. It's it's a hard, uh, it's a hard battle, I would say. Uh, but I think we're pretty much happy with how things are changing. And uh, but when you say in terms of how it's flourishing in India, it's definitely flourishing in India at a very high pace right now. And I think the biggest force has started from the student community, from the young people out there who want this change to happen, who want to explore things. They are just confused right now. Many of them are confused right now that how does this get built? You know, how does this get accepted into the profession? But let me tell you, uh, give you a, a ray of hope over here that every professional out there right now is looking for these technologies, tools, and the kind of people who know these tools, basically. So it is definitely flourishing. It's a merger that is required right now between the young people and the practicing professionals that how this will be actually adapt, uh, you know, adopted at a, in, a, in a larger way. And right now it is really flourished in India. It's very popular. People know about it. It's no more. We don't have to struggle to tell somebody that, okay, we're doing something called parametric design. Because like, again, five, six years down, uh, you know, back, people used to ask, what, what is parametric? What is computation? What do you mean by computation? And you know, like so many other things. And now it's become very easy to explain it to a layman as well. Now clients come to us saying, I want a parametric facade. And I ask them, like, are you a, are you a designer? They said, no, I, I'm a, you know, I'm a layman, but I want a parametric design. So it's become that popular now in, in that sense. So in a way, I think it's really flourished now in India as well. Uh, we should not, uh, you know, shy away from the fact that it can't be done. It's all happening. Technologies are there. Industry is ready. And that I can, I can tell you. Uh, and is it more of an external consultancy or the architects adopting these tools themselves? I think it's a mix of both. Architects are adopting these tools themselves. The, the limit to which that they can do is obviously limited. You know, we as, 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 as a studio have been doing independent projects as well. So the way we adopt to tools is very, very different to how uh, another architect who started adopting to these tools two years back is going to be doing, of course. Uh, and, and it's not always that we are always good on their bad and something like that. It's not a comparison of that kind. It's, it's a kind of intervention that you can, uh, to which you can use technologies. Uh, but at the same time, because architects can do only to a particular, to a limit, I think there are a lot of consultants out there. I mean, likewise, I mean, we are doing external consultancy to a lot of architects and, and designers. Uh, where we're helping them to push the boundary using technologies. And I don't think everybody has to be an expert in this, to be honest. You know, I truly believe that, you know, for example, if somebody has an expertise in designing landscapes, you know, they are landscape experts, they are landscape architects. We usually consult with them as landscape architects. Somebody has an expertise in lighting. We would consult with them for lighting design. It's not like me as an architect would not know how to design a landscape or how to do good lighting. But I think if there's an expert out there who can do much more better and who has much more exposure and experience, 
and I would have, then obviously I would work with that particular person or a firm as a consultant. So it is important to have different kind of consultants. So computational parametric design consultants has been an emerging thing now. Uh, how many people are actually truly, uh, you know, sticking by the right use of it is something that that's still questionable, I would say, because a lot of people just knowing basic stuff are able to provide services, but then those services are not at par with what's happening internationally and globally. So, but it's a flourishing, uh, uh, you know, market, I would say. And I think it's all about collaborations between different consultants. There is no single architect or a firm that would do everything by themselves. So everybody has their own role to play. Um, thank you so much, Mr. Verma. And I would agree on what you said. Like, I, I also believe that if um, a project demands a certain specialty and uh, an architect has envisioned, so as many consultants who can actually make that vision possible should collaborate and uh, make it happen. So yeah, looking forward to uh, you know keep 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 these interactions uh, on. And I know like uh, we've had a few questions answered, but again, I can't see see the people's name and stuff. You guys want to drop in some questions after this forum? Please, you can do that on Instagram as well. So uh, feel free to create some kind of interactions. I mean, we're, we're fairly becoming more active now uh, on social media as well in terms of interacting and. Our response times have become better having some dedicated team members to help us out on this so yeah looking forward to these kind of interactions and uh, hopefully students find you know students or professionals whoever was a part of the audience found this uh, conversation useful and yeah looking forward to uh, more such associations in future and thank you so much again once again uh you know to, to the architects diary and iida for having this summit and uh, it's been a pleasure being a part of it it's been a pleasure having it with you um so now we'll uh, see everyone at 4:30 for the next session stay safe and network in the ne network lounge thank you bye